Welcome back, guys, to the Enablers Podcast. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hello. <laughs> okay, so today, well, I know we always say this, like, oh, today's going to be an interesting topic, interesting discussion, whatever, whatever. Uh, but honestly, <laughs> I, <laughs> but honestly, I'm very excited for this episode for this topic because I've been researching about it for quite a while now, mm. and I've decided to draft up as a conversation between us. We're going to talk about uh, memories, mental models, and mind palaces. So anything relating to uh, remembering things and the things that we learned from back in school and to what we practice now. And before we start, I would like to do a little test for this too. Um, I'm going to show 10 different words, and you have 30 seconds to memorize them in order. And then you have 30 seconds to write it down, and then we'll check it. Okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm scared. So I cannot write it down whilst you show it. No. no obviously, uh, okay. no. It's supposed to be memory. Okay. okay. okay got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Let me just... Mm, um, I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be scared. It's just... I, <laughs> I would. Okay. I, I need to win. <laughs> okay. No, Magat, breathe. <laughs> okay, it's not a competition, eh? No, I I'm, really not gonna, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, disregard any effort that you put in. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna extrapolate what technique you use, basically. So don't worry about not remembering of anything. I'm not worried. It's fine. It's fine. I, I already okay. know Mugat's worried about the competition. I'm more worried about people finding out that how bad my memory is. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Okay. Okay, you have 30 seconds. Go. Okay, done. All right, you now have 30 seconds to write it down. Okay, drop the pen. <laughs> Okay, let's check. <laughs> I got. I mean, you don't have to say it. It's like just just based on whatever you guys gotten. I got six. Are you, are you guys? <laughs> okay, that's really good. Are they all? I got seven all... out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are they all in order? Yeah, I got. I got six out of ten. I mean, I wrote it out in order, but the ones mm-hmm. I got right is not consecutive. Ah uh, okay. Oh, so I right. got, oh, so you pick. So you say for example. So I you, got I I got right from number two to number six, and then the last one. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Magat. Uh, I mean, I only managed to put down nine, so I assume that's one to nine. Uh-huh. Um, but I got uh seven correct in the right order, but the last two were correct as well. I just forgot the word in between. I, I just forgot the eight words. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay, cool. So, in your day-to-day life, how much do you rely on memory? Quite a lot, to be honest. Um, especially because work requires a lot of knowledge of certain uh adjustments why certain numbers come out that way and what's the rationale for that and none of which are necessarily grounded by proper logic it's just because oh 
something happened here, we need to do this. If you didn't know the context, then it wouldn't make sense to you when you see the numbers. So then as a result, you need to remember a lot of different contexts that mm -hmm. arise, justifying certain adjustments or certain numbers that you see. So a lot of memory work, it forces me to at least, I guess, train my memory to remember important things. Okay. Uh, Riz? Mm, for me, if it's for work, when I was working my previous company, mm -hmm. I think a lot of memory work was required, but I did not rely on my own memory. I rather prefer to just brain dump it on a certain tool. So whenever I have mm -hmm. a certain task or anything, particularly information that I need to do, I have a system that I built and just basically put all, all the memory work there. There are some things where, when required in terms of presentations and whatnot, though I don't think I put a lot of conscious effort to remember it. Mm -hmm. When it comes to certain figures which are important or whatnot, it was easy for me to just remember. If mm -hmm. not, very quickly, I just go on my smartphone and then find out immediately. Okay. Um, so yeah, even for my personal tasks or like things I want to remember, I always, brand, I always brain dump it on my own like memory system, if you want to call that. Okay. Um, so say, for example, on the scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you to rely on your memory? <laughs> one. <laughs> my memory is just really bad. Oh, maybe because I I prefer to not rely on my memory, hence I mm -hmm. always put it on something else for keeping that memory. Okay. Yep. Fair. Fair. Magat. I think I'm about five and six. Between five to six. I mean, okay. I I don't believe that people should be expected to rely on their own memories because it's not a given yeah. that you know you're all blessed with it. And even if you're good, other people may not be. So you can't mm -hmm. operate with the assumption that everyone else will have good memory. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've, I've always been back and forth with this, especially in science, because um, obviously you, you don't want to rely on your memory because these are evidence-based and you want to make sure that you're reporting the right numbers, the right outcome. And every every conclusion you make per experiment is um, has a downstream effect. So you don't want to ruin that. And I suppose it's also very applicable in people working with big numbers in investment bankings or things with high risk. I, I do want to say, though, I think when the discussion we had so far, it's all about remembering facts and information still. Though I kind of want to say that if I were to use my memory, it's more on understanding a certain so remembering a certain understanding. So say I've read something, a concept, then I understand that these things connect to one another. Mm -hmm. I do, I I think subconsciously, I make an effort to remember those connections or okay. those, I don't know what they call it, knowledge or wisdom in, in, in sense that we need to make sure that we remember this so that we don't repeat as a mistake or something that we miss yeah. out in the future, but not necessarily facts like what the person's birthday is or where they live at and stuff like that. So factual things are more of, I would put it them in a certain hard disk, whereas yeah. things which are more culminated in terms of connections of information and becomes a crystallized knowledge, then those are things that I think I subconsciously try to remember more, though I yeah. must admit I don't put conscious effort to remember it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think you brought up a very important point because there's two, I suppose there's two ways for you to look into memory. So memories on specific facts and numbers and um, information, and then there's memories for understanding further concepts for things that you will come across. And 
I think those two play an important role in your day-to-day life still. Um, and the only reason why we feel, well, I, th- I think all of us has pretty pretty decent um, experiences in memorizing and learning ways to kind of curb you know, losing memory or whatever. But I think younger generation have struggled to um with their memory because of technology knowing that you can just search an information quickly with google you have internet if you've forgotten a concept you don't sit down and try to remember it whereas you could just i could just google this um and you know like you said about birthdays and stuff like that um you can just put a reminder on your calendar because you are on as you get older, all you want to do is like, you want to learn more information. So these little things are not necessarily important uh, to be taking up your mind space. And I I think generally uh, because of this reliance is causing people to lose the ability to rely on the memory. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Your brain is like a muscle you have to actively work on it. You can work on it even when you're old uh, and you think like, you know, you don't, people can, people discount themselves in what they think they're capable of doing. Yeah. An example that came to mind was the fact that I feel that when I first started driving in KL, Malaysia, I used to remember the roads more because there was not such a thing as Waze or rather I did not use Waze. So you sort of try to force your muscle memory to remember, okay, this is where you turn, this is where you go and whatnot. But after I went to Japan and came back, when I started driving, just relying on Waze or Google Maps, after that, it was more like, oh, how do I even go to this nearby shopping mall? I don't even remember the, the roads. It's only after I've done it so many times that it becomes part of my muscle memory. But mm. I did not have that conscious effort to actually remember such um, information because we already know that technology is so um, well adapted so that we can just rely on it right so I, I totally get you I remember my dad when I was young was like why do you remember this you just have to make sure you take an effort take notice I'm like I don't remember it at all because <laughs> you just don't put any effort in it right in terms of remembering it yeah yeah exactly sometimes I do if it's the only reason why I started looking more into this is because there were a few instances where I felt I was very confident in my memory when in fact it was it was the wrong memory. Uh, uh, even in conversation where I mentioned something and then somebody remembered it and I was like, I don't remember at all saying that. I don't even remember that occasion happening. And that kind of like scared me because I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud with my memory going, growing up. And so that that basically got me into the spur of researching and stuff. And there was an article that I read. Uh, so this guy was in- interviewing this mental athlete. While mental athlete, their aim is very different to ours. You know, their their aim is to remember as much as they can, facts, numbers, everything in like short amount of time, and then be able to recall it, not just for short term memory space, but also longer term one of the ways that they've made that possible is through creating a mind palace. Um, so mind palace basically use this technique called method of loci. So loci is a word from Latin 
which means location. So this mental athletes, they rely on visual um, mm. visual memory and also spatial navigation. And I think, Ruiz, you're mentioning about, you mentioned something about uh, remembering the roads because you have this image of where the landmarks are and yes. knowing what roads take. So our memory, since we were young, we were conducive to learn things in a spatial manner. We remember things based on spatial manner. Um, and that also includes the smell, senses that you have while remembering things and the emotions that you felt while remembering things. Um, so a lot of the memories that you tend to have is because you felt all the senses potentially. So, <laughs> why are you smiling? <laughs> Sorry, I'm smiling because I, I kept on telling my family before that whenever we go on holidays, I don't really remember the locations we go, but the things which I vividly remember are definitely the restaurants that we eat at. <laughs> So if they mention about like, oh, we ate this, I don't know, curry or this tempura or something yeah. at this, rest this location, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that place. But if they say like, oh, do you remember seeing this temple in Japan? I said, I'm like, what? what temple are you talking about? So it, it just relates to, I'm laughing because it relates to the way I remember whenever I go on holidays because I associate it with my, uh, I, I guess it's my own method of gastro in terms of relating it to food. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. All, all I could think about is uh, my best memories are all just disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> like I said before, you tend to remember memory that conjure up feeling or emotions within you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, wow, it's so strong. Take me back to what, when I was seven, still remember some of my disappointments. Mm. Oh, no. I mean... Words I'm a of petty, advice, okay? petty, petty, petty ban. <laughs> Let that go. <laughs> um, yeah, so so association is a very one of the very strong ways to remember things better. So these mental athletes, they so the mind palaces and this method that they used, um, which is the spatial recognition, spatial navigation, is they created a well palace in their mind but it doesn't necessarily need to be a palace. It, it mm. can be like a house that you're very, so you want to create an image that you're very familiar with, like the yeah. house you grew up in, or if you've been playing this game and you know the map really, really well, like Mario Go-Kart or whatever, and you remember how to get to one place to another, right. you you have that image in your brain. Um, and what they create is that whatever that they need to memorize, they put it in sections within that, um, palace or house, whatever it's in their mind. So for example, when you first open the door, you mm. have your living room to your left. And that living room has three different objects that are very distinct. So a tree or a sofa and a, and a, uh, a photo. And so they then associate that objects with whatever they need to know, need to remember in order. So when I give you that 10 things, you could correlate those 10 things based on your trajectory, you moving into the houses. So you go into the living room, you have three different objects and they're relating to, what was it? The beard, the object, and um, I think it was a jacket. jacket. 
And then you, once you get out of your living room, you are in this hallway. Um, and then you see a kitchen on your right. So then you associate different things mm. in that kitchen. But this has to be very familiar with you. So you don't have to actively having to remember what was in the house because it's supposed to be in your subconscious already by that point. Um, but this doesn't necessarily need to just be, you know, with numbers. You can use this for other things, but as per practicing remembering things, it takes a lot of effort in the beginning. Mm. I personally think initially this is such a waste of time. Like I don't need to pull up an image in my head to remember things. I could just write down seven times and just remember and do active recall and stuff. But actually, because your brain is very... Con very conducive and remember things with spatial navigation it's mm. it's worth a shot um i'm not i'm not going to say that i'm great at it but i'm getting better at it which location do you build your palace on my childhood home because <laughs> it's just easy it's very small um i see yeah but uh so one of the things that they mentioned is that now kids have a lot of potential location that they can put out in their image because you play a lot of games and even creating like houses in your sim sim city so the same houses you can even make that into your subconscious if you want to how do you decide on which memories do you actually how do you decide on which memories do you allocate a location in your mind palace? Because, for example, if I take my childhood home mm. and I have, say, six rooms in the whole house mm -hmm. and then I meet a certain person, I meet a guy named Jeremy, let's just say, mm -hmm. and for some reason, uh, he has somewhat of a significant enough kind of presence that I may want to remember him, but I don't know how important his memory is towards me. Does he deserve a location in my mind palace in that sense? How do you decide? I think that really depends on you um, because for me, if I feel like I'm not gonna, if I'm not gonna see this person or if the person I'm not really interested in networking or it's just like a passing moment, then I probably wouldn't remember. But because if you've been practicing this whole Mind Palace thing, it can it can come up in a way that you don't actively have to remember him. You don't actually have to put him into the house because you, 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 it's so easy for you to go back into your mind palace that you just put his name in like a corner that you can actually see it over time. But in the beginning, right. I probably wouldn't fuss about, you know, remembering a person that you don't think is going to, Put any benefit in your life or that anything. person will probably get stored in the storeroom huh. <laughs> but my issue is that well i'm not i've never tried this before mm -hmm. i've heard of i've heard of it previously but my skepticism still lies in terms mm -hmm. of because if you decide to put too many things in your mind palace yeah you're essentially cluttering your house yeah right? yeah and if you put Jeremy in a particular corner and then you meet a person named Rose and you put the person in the same corner and you put another person in the same corner as well, after a while, you're just going to have a pile of names on the corner. And will it not um, clutter or make your whole mind palace a bit more messy in a way and hence it defeats the purpose? I mean, probably it's how you engineer your mind palace. I mean, if you're a cluttery person in general who needs to have everything on display, then it's going to be well cluttered. 
but if it is probably something that is not a priority, then you don't have to put it clearly within your purview, but you kind of know it's stored in a drawer, for example. You have a lot of crap in your house, right? You have files, documentation that you don't look at on a daily basis, but as and when you need to revisit that, then you go into that drawer that you know contains the exact detail required. So maybe that's a concept as well. Having a safe space that you could store, like data, memory, some of which are more important and is on display, on the table, on the shelves, some less so in the storeroom, in the drawer, in the cupboard far, far away. And with the concept of a palace, it kind of provides this limitless like space that is available for your Right. For your world, maybe Kyrene has a childhood home because, you know, it's not a palace yet, but who knows, she's renovating it and extending it to becoming a palace slowly but surely. I also would like to point out, Ruth, have you ever came across an incident where you just remembered the most randomest thing out of nowhere, out of the blue? So this this is what, this is basically following up to your question. You don't necessarily need, you maybe choose not to remember it, but that's your own choice. So if you feel like, oh, James doesn't necessarily need to be in my memory, it can be wiped out. But then once your brain has been so optimized in this whole memory palace, you you would remember that occasion, that day, that that person and and all the details that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the beginning, I think it's just you focus more on the most important things. So this is so this leads to my next point. Mental athletes exist not just because their lives are dedicated to remembering. What they've noticed is that while practicing their memorization and building this mind palace and all the techniques that they've been using is that they're more mindful in the things that they consume and how they consume things. We are at this age where we have a lot of information in our fingertips. If anything, you feel like you've never know enough. You just want to keep learning and learning and learn. And that's not being mindful because you have the tendency of inquiring and then chucking away and then realize, actually, I've read something about that, but I don't remember shit. Right. So that's not being mindful with what you take. It's like having a sort of gated area where mental athletes or people who practice mind palace would then decide on which ones are, as Magat was saying, good enough that you want to put it in a pedestal in your palace or is it just going to be chucked away in some drawer in your palace or a storeroom. So they're mindful in the sense of, well, cherry picking is perhaps not the best way, but selecting which ones really matter to them and which ones are information, knowledge, wisdom that they really want to remember, the one that they find as golden nuggets that they want to make sure mm. is within their mind, right? Mm-hmm. And then if I may say, if you create a house in Japan, for example, and then sometimes there are earthquakes that just rattle the house and then just all memories just let loose and you get triggered and you get anxiety and stuff. And sometimes you fall into the pits of depression, just saying. So don't build your house in an area that is prone to any natural <laughs> disasters because then you're going to get triggered easily. I was not prepared for that thing. <laughs> okay so we've talked about uh your reliance on memory and how you can make that better 
by building these mind palaces. And like I mentioned before, these things take practice. Um, it doesn't sound easy. It sounds like it's a lot of work in the beginning, but it's all dependent on whether you want to, you know, try and practice it. It might, it might work for you. It might not, but if you work on it properly, then chances are it's, it's it, it should work. So I think I wanted to go back into our learning style when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, uh, so you both have learned foreign languages, right? Ruth, yes. specifically because you live in the country that you need to practice la- the, the language. Mm-hmm. How did you practice before you actually went to the country and remembering those words? Because I bet Japanese is like a lot more intense than any other language because you have to know the letters and how to write it and how to actually read it. Mm. It's a few stages, right? So when it comes to just remembering the the letters, the alphabet of the Japanese language, so they have three different alphabets, that was just really a matter of practice in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was muscle memory. Um, there was also this thing called kanji. So kanji is like Chinese characters, the ones that the uh, Mandarin speakers, Cantonese speakers use as well. For those ones, are either writing and also I kind of associated with uh, visual cues where certain characters will look at like a tree or we look like an animal. So we started using that in the first few months. But after a while, it just became so ingrained because we were trying to use it every day mm-hmm. that it just becomes second nature. But after that, after that, when we started learning words and whatnot, I think um, it started became, becoming me associating those words with English or Malay words where certain words will mean something very similar to English or something similar to Malay, or it will be in between um, meanings of two different words, for example. So it was me associating with different words. So it it always had to do with some kind of association, which later on became second nature when I kept on practicing it. Mm -hmm. So my way of reinforcing my memory was by association, which was either via visual images or meaning on certain words. Or there was even things like, I remember my senior giving us tuition before and we have a certain word and the word meant certain verbs, so like certain actions. Mm-hmm. So we'll sort of practice it with our hands, like, okay, this means this. Ah. So every time when we say the word or we try to remember the word, we're like, oh, it was this. Okay, then we, we remember the word, for example. So it was also always associated with something that I have already have in my brain unless the word had no um, equivalent meaning to an English or Malay word, mm-hmm. in that sense, um, then that was just really hardcore, pushing it in and um, sort of tattooing it in my brain, kind of, because yeah. there's no other way of associating it with anything else, apart from the contextual examples of using the word. Yeah. Were you exposed to like watching Japanese show and trying to understand what they're saying without the subtitles before learning more into it? Or or did you have to learn like, I don't know, a classic nursery rhymes and translate that into Japanese? So I I know a lot of other people who would watch Japanese shows and that's from watching Japanese shows and what people say and how they use the words, they sort of associate the 
the the meaning of the word into what it actually means mm-hmm. uh, i did not do that but one one effective way of learning language which i still remember mizuno sensei so my my teacher back in malaysia in college a japanese guy taught us this method called shadowing so we'll be listening to a radio we'll be list- watching a certain show and then we will just mimic what the person says but with a lag of about half a second or one second after they've said it so for example like the sentence that i'm saying right now you would mm. immediately say it with a lag of one second it's just to sort of so different languages will have different intonations and the shadowing method will actually help us remember that and whenever we come across a new word that we want to use or the person says on the radio that's how we learn from just the flow of things because the japanese person the native japanese speaker would say certain things in a certain way so we were associated to that flow of conversation as well uh magat you learned french didn't you well i think my french learning um was a bit short lived i enrolled in the class for my third year of uni i it was just a once a week class it was 2 okay. hours though at the uh in one go honestly it was very tiring it was too much um especially because it was after classes have ended so it's about 5 to 7 uh. p.m. on a monday so it was not conducive to learn languages plus i didn't have any french person to speak to as well so yeah. you learn in class you you learn the words the translation you learn to form sentences but french is hard to understand when you're not native so it didn't go very well And I just realized that um thinking about another language I I learned which was when I was in primary school I actually went to Islamic school in the afternoon so I did learn a bit of Arabic and truth be told I actually did quite well learning the Arabic language back then in terms of my scores mm-hmm. for the exams and it was one of the higher marks just because um like you said right it's like the way we learn languages is for me through repetition through reading it constantly and then you know um you know in classes the teachers would always ask you to read out loud and what does it stand for and then test you and then like whoever scores the most correct answers win and and yeah. you know how I, i'm all <laughs> up for that shit right um but i think for me just to 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 go back to the overarching question about memory and how language comes to play i think for foreign languages that you pick up along the way it is going to rely a lot on memory at the start until it starts yeah. becoming natural until it starts yeah. becoming muscle memory to which then it is much less of that okay let's let's change the question for magai when you're learning how to play the guitar you did you pick up specific songs that you want to play or do you play from basics i had a song and i i played it it was kind of going straight into it okay good 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 good, yeah. good. so Can I say that the song that you wanted to play is already kind of ingrained in your mind how the song goes you know the tempo you know the rhythm right, you know yes. the lyrics yeah. so so when you're learning do you learn do you learn the chords or you just memorize the chords based on things that you learned from YouTube so i just went to the sheet knew the chords i had to press uh-huh. and then just force my memory into it really. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. So I think the point that I wanted to make with this question is that you always have 
some sort of like bigger picture in your mind of how you're going to accept each and each lesson. So for Rose, for example, you know that you have to know certain words to be able to say a sentence. You already know, okay, this sentence needs to mean I need to go to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So you pick out those words. You, you remember those words because you know you need you need it for to be able to communicate with someone. Whereas Magat, you already have the song in your head, how it goes. So each strum, each chords that you're about to play should sound exactly like how it, sh- how it sounded on YouTube. And I think in this point, you don't necessarily have to create a mind palace because at this point, retention is better when you see the bigger picture. So there's a lot of things that we have learned throughout when we were, you know, growing up like math and theories and all that stuff um maybe it's not as applicable to what we do now but back then our point is to be able to solve this this problem we need to know this um this equation because sometimes in a lot of applicable question you need two two or three different formulas to put in together and If you think that you want to be able to learn a language or a song or um, an instrument, and a lot of people tend to hold hold themselves back from learning instruments when they're older because they feel like they're not going to be able to learn as fast or remember as best as they should have, they could have when they were younger. But you have an advantage because you're able to see the bigger picture when you're older know what necessarily needs to be mastered what necessarily needs to be essential um, instead of remembering everything from the basic yeah so basically that that was my point is that for you to remember things better you need to have a bigger picture this also goes back to there are certain classes where I've experienced back during my degree days where the teacher would always give a pop quiz before we learn a subject and she made it extra hard for us because she because the grades are counted towards our final GPA. Mm-hmm. So obviously we had to basically skim through or read something about that topic that we're about to learn, which made us more mindful and more aware of what we're learning that day, um, which then leads to us not having to revise as much towards our final exam because our retention was very good because we were very self-aware in the beginning. We, we know what we're about to learn and then we got to piece together everything in this in such a short amount of time without having to make sense in our brain what the heck we were trying to learn that day it might be a lot of information still but when you have the bigger concept you be, you're able to re- retain information better essentially what you're saying is this is similar to our multitasking episode in the sense that whenever we're doing something and even when it comes to memory itself, though we may have a lot of things that we need to do when it comes to learning or when it comes to remembering something, the overarching why, the overarching reason or objective that we're doing it is still fundamentally an essential part of the whole process where if you want to remember something, say, you're doing a presentation and then you're going for a meeting and there's a lot of people sharing from different departments about this information, that information, etc. Then because you understand, you're self-aware of that 
objective, that ultimate objective in mind, your mind, your memory will sort out the information and selectively remember which ones are actually vital and that will help with your memory. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So my takeaway from this episode is the one that you mentioned about mental athletes having all these techniques inclusive of the mindful of the mind palace is that the reason they have this is so that they are more mindful about any of the remembrance, any of the knowledge, wisdom that they have gained over time and not just being exposed to the plethora of like information facts which are all over us today, mm. but being a bit more selective, being a bit more careful, conscientious about which memory, which knowledge, which golden nuggets do they actually want to let in into their minds. And I think that's something that I myself and I think a lot of people could learn from because as we are in the flow of information all the time via social media, etc., we lack that mindfulness and lose that mindfulness every day, I believe. And going back to being present and really looking at what we are reading and listening and watching and letting into our brains is important. Uh, that's my takeaway from this episode. I think for me, it's about opening our minds to, I guess, different ways we could improve our memories. Like I've heard about this mind palace concept since I've watched Sherlock and I've not really known about its real-time application. So knowing that it's actually a real way that people use to memorize things alongside other different types of memory methodologies, I think it's probably a good way for me to start rethinking about how I've memorized stuff in the past as well. I mean, traditionally, you know, you do you write things down, you make mnemonics and you make a song out of it and you remember it, right? But mm. could there be a way that could more, uh, that could be perhaps more all-encompassing when songs could not be made, when mnemonics make no sense? Could, could the solution just be somehow jamming it in your <laughs> mind palace of some form? So I think maybe I'm going to try and apply that and see if that transcends into some improvements into my life. Mm -hmm. So throughout this podcast, I've asked these two guys a bunch of different questions. One of them was, how much do you rely on your memory and how have um, what steps have you taken to improve your memory and what kind of concept of memory do you use at the current moment? And I think I wanted to do this episode basically to kind of create a conversation with yourself to look into introspect yourself and see how can you improve to be a better person? Because as much as we don't want to rely on memories, uh, considering we have all the technologies to help us with that, it is also really helpful in time of emergencies. Uh, you know, when when you needed when somebody needed your help there and then, maybe your memory will be proved useful in the long run. Um, so I hope that this whole conversation would start. Uh, a whole other conversation with yourself and if you have any question or would like to know more about our resources feel free to reach us out on the needlers podcast we're both on instagram and twitter until then see you guys next week bye, bye guys bye